This episode of the podcast is presented by Knowing Hospitality, a full-service hotel management and consulting company that works directly with hotel owners and managers to help stabilize their properties and take on projects that are critical to their operation. Knowing Hospitality can be the extra set of hands that you need to make sure your hotel is best positioned for today's environment. Visit knowinghospitality.com to learn more. Now let's get to the podcast. I think what COVID has done is made everybody think about their own worth. What am I worth? What is my life worth? I think we've all done a lot of that kind of deep soul searching. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best-run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. My guest today is Heather Myers. If you've ever wanted to know more about those personality tests that recruiters often have you go through, this episode's for you. Heather is a Stanford-trained personality psychologist and chief psychology officer at Tradeify, a company working to improve the assessment interview and recruiting process. Tradeify bills itself as the world's fastest talent assessment, using images to determine an array of personality traits as opposed to long-form questions you may be used to seeing. With hotels starting to hire again, but so many people having moved on to other jobs and even other industries, I wanted to get insight on the state of recruiting and how it's changing based on the effects of the pandemic. Personality assessments are nothing new to the hotel industry, but as difficulties in hiring and recruiting from a smaller pool of candidates dominates the news today, organizations who evolve their thinking around the employee life cycle will be the ones who come out on top. So let's get to it. This is episode 49 of the Proven Principles podcast, Heather Myers on how to find and hire the right hotel staff. Enjoy. Heather, it's fantastic to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Oh, you're so welcome, Adam. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. I'm really excited to talk about this subject today of of hiring and recruitment and retention. But before we dive too deep into it, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? What what are you up to? Who do you work for? What's your your role, etc.? Well, my name is Heather Myers, and I'm the Chief Psychology Officer for Tradeify. And Tradeify is really a software as a service assess platform that helps with hiring and retention and engagement. So helping companies define good fit employees um, with assessments that are fun and engaging. I am on the team that creates the assessments and works to develop our learning and development materials, thinks about things like how do we get people to stay and how can we create tools that help people stay and help them grow within their role. So that's primarily what I'm doing right now here at Tradeify. Assessments. So colloquially known on the ground as personality tests. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So we primarily do personality tests. We've got a cognitive one as well, but primarily we focus in personality. So do you do just in the the recruitment, the hiring stage, the interview stage, or does that translate over into other stages of the employee life cycle? I'm so glad you asked that because as a company, we aim to be holistic and have tools that are useful across the entire from candidate to employee lifespan. So we have a tool that is often used by organizations to help engage potential candidates. There's Mm. a personality assessment that we give at things like job fairs, and it's fun and it's engaging and it's picture-based. So you just show people pictures and they just click me or not me. They like to do it. Mm. Our completion rates are high, and then we give them a little report at the end, and they think it's fun and it's interesting. 
And then you can direct people to jobs that they might uh, be a good fit for based on the kinds of things Mm. that they like to do. And so we have tools that, you know, you start there. And then we have some that are more directed toward here's a specific role at a specific organization and how good of a fit is your personality for that role. Obviously, there's a wide range of personality fit. It's not a narrow window, but it does help people realize that there are some roles that they're just not going to be happy with, they're not a great fit for. And then there are other roles Mm -hmm. that are really, you know, right up their alley and they're really going to enjoy. So it's good for both the candidate and the employer. Finally, in the end stages, or sort of once they're hired, we have a tool that is part of that assessment, so they don't have to take another assessment, and it's called Tradeify Engage. And this tool allows people to do their own personal growth and development, and they can do it on their own. They can do it with colleagues um, or with managers, but they don't have to. And it gives tips for how do you build better communication skills? How do you deal with stress on the job? How do you build good work habits? And it's all personalized based on that individual's set of scores on the personality assessment. So it really is a personalized learning and development platform. It's not just a cookie cutter, one size fits all. And then our tool at the finally in the after even development can be used to help people look for other roles within a company when they're looking to grow or expand. So there are other roles that they can see that they're a good fit for and maybe look towards those roles. So we really do aim to span that entire life cycle of the, from candidate through employee. Wow. So you mentioned that it's picture-based. So how does that, I mean, so typically in the hotel field, I think a lot of people are familiar one way or another with or the hotel industry with these assessments that usually get administered in the interview stage. You kind of go through a maybe a screening interview and then you get passed off to the assessments. And if you do quote well on the assessment, then you, you get kind of passed up to the next level of interviews. I really want to dive into this, that whole thing with you, because I'd like to kind of understand on the back end. I know a lot of listeners would as well, kind of what you may be looking for with that. But Back to the first question, how does it work with pictures versus the the typical like one to five or one to 10 scale? Absolutely. So this is a great question and me being the scientist that I am. So I sort of grew up in the space of personality psychology. So I have my PhD in personality psychology from Stanford and I have a master's degree in statistics. So I've spent a lot of time thinking about personality and a lot of time taking really boring personality assessments. And <laughs> It's brutal. And sometimes I'll read a question. I'll be like, what? This is so confusing. Like, I can't figure out what this even says, let alone Mm -hmm. figure out how I'm going to respond to it. And so when I first started, you know, kind of found Tradeify, or I should say Tradeify found me and was looking to really run some studies and validate their assessment. And, And at that time, creating the one that we now use for hiring, I was able to get in at that ground level. And their principles were an image is worth so much more, right? A picture is worth a thousand words. And mm-hmm. it's really true. Our visual processing is about 60,000 times faster than our verbal processing. So we're hmm. really, really good at processing images. Like we're literally, our brains are designed to do that. And so the thought is, let's capitalize on that. Let's look at the images and then anchor them with short captions so it kind of focuses your attention on the piece of the the image that we want you to focus on. 
and then have people use that and rate it. I think the one thing that's different, of course, is that we just say me or not me. So we're trying to get people to answer it quickly, to go through it, to kind of really just go with that gut level, answer, respond, to get a very genuine response from people. And then the question is, but is that really measuring personality? How could that possibly be measuring the same thing as this long assessment that takes half an hour? Well, that's my job. So I am responsible for running the validation studies. So we have a random sample of participants in the U.S. who are representative of the demographics of the U.S. based on the census. And we give them our assessment as well as two more established assessments of personality. And then we see, does the final score, so our our assessment measures these five personality dimensions, the one that we primarily use in hiring called the big five. So we say, does your score on each of these big five positively correlate with your score on the other more standard assessments? And so that's how we've established what you call convergent validity or basically Mm. showing that we're measuring what we say we're measuring and not Mm. something different. And so that's how we know that that's what Mm -hmm. we're measuring, that we're measuring the right thing. That's interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong, it would seem to me that if you put a sentence on an assessment, uh, there would be, that would be less open to interpretation than an image of something with a caption underneath. That seems, maybe that's a little more ambiguous and open to interpretation. Is that, is that true? And if so, is that maybe a little more by design? So, I mean, I think whenever you take an assessment, no matter what it is, whether it's pictures, whether it's sentences, we all have our own backpacks of baggage of experiences, right? And they're all different. So the way we even read the same sentence is not going to be the same. And that's for Mm. sure true of images as well. So, you know, but what you want to make sure is that you're measuring these things consistently in the same person over time, and that you're really measuring these kind of same dimensions. So that's where other research come in. So we do stability studies. So we look at things like test-retest reliability. So if you take it now and you take the same assessment six to eight weeks later, eight weeks later, are you scoring the same? And then we look at between people, again, if you're scoring high on our assessment, are you also scoring high on the one that has um, more sentences? And people do. So the relationships are consistent no matter which way you take it. It's consistent over time. Trust me, we started out with way, way more images and captions some of which were more ambiguous, some of which were less so. And then you find out a whole bunch don't work and you kick those all out. And then you (laughs) end up with a really kind of stable group of items. Um, So it's a Mm -hmm. long involved process to get to this really pretty assessment at the end of the day. But there's a lot of science and a lot of research that goes into getting that beautiful assessment at the end. Oh, yeah. So what are the big five traits that the assessment looks for? Or grade, grades again? Like, what's the right terminology there? So I would say it's, uh, it's again, it's sort of what we assess or what we look for. Mm-hmm. And these are, we use this model of personality, which is called the big five or the five-factor model for a reason. One is it's the model of personality that is most consistent across languages, across cultures. It has over 50 years of experience or research 
kind of relating to it to show that it's also predictive of work performance and experiences on the job. So the reason we chose this model is that it's the model of personality that is most predictive of performance on the job. So it predicts mm-hmm. things like turnover. It can predict dollar amount of sales for sales positions. We can predict things like counterproductive work behaviors or people who are more likely to do things that they're not supposed to do and get reprimanded for on the job. So it predicts all of these things. And it's the model of personality that is the most predictive. So there are a lot of what we call meta-analytic studies, which are basically Mm -hmm. just studies that analyze all the research. And so that's why we've chosen this particular model. And it is really considered in the kind of scientific community as the model of personality that is most comprehensive. So it covers the whole full range of human personality in these five dimensions. And then the five dimension themselves, did you want me to kind of talk about what those what those five dimensions are? If it's not like a trade, yeah, you know, paid for secret. <laughs> it, it's not at all. No. <laughs> nope. If you really wanted to Google it and do the research, you could find it. Um, but I can make it easier. So the five dimensions, the first one, and there's an acronym called OCEAN that we use to, to memorize them. It mm-hmm. makes it a little easier. The first one is openness to new experiences. And that's really around sort of an intellectual curiosity. So that's how much do people enjoy learning new things, trying new ways of solving problems, taking in more information, not doing something the same way twice versus someone who likes to consistently do something in a way that it's been done because they know it will work. It's been proven effective and they, you know, really want to be able to make sure that it's done right and they can do it the same way every time. They're not looking for a lot of variety. That's kind of how that dimension plays out. So if you're a quality control person, for example, and you have to make sure everything's exactly the same every time, you probably want someone a little lower in openness. If you're leading your Mm -hmm. company's innovation team, you probably want someone who's higher in openness. So again, depending upon you know, what the specifics are of the role and what it requires, you want Mm -hmm. someone who's in a different place, probably on that, on that spectrum. So that's the first dimension. The second one is conscientiousness. And conscientiousness is something that we talk about all the time, right? So how conscientious are you? But in big five land, it really has two components. So one is sort of dependability. So how likely are you to get it done, to make sure that it's done right, you know, you meet your deadlines, things like that. And the other piece of it is really kind of that stick to itness. So in the face of challenges and difficulties, how likely are you to continue and persevere? And again, it's a whole spectrum. So people who are very high in conscientiousness actually sometimes aren't great at meeting deadlines because they want it to be perfect, right? They want it to be absolutely right. They Mm. want everything to be right. So sometimes they have a hard time moving on if they don't think they've really nailed it. So for some jobs, especially if you have requests coming in very frequently all the time, you want someone who's a little lower, who's more flexible. So they can do answer it in a way that's good enough, but not go until they have perfection, right? And another piece of it is organization. So people who are highly conscientious tend to be very neat and tidy. And some people are, you Mm. know, a little lower on that. So those are sort of the components of that dimension in and of itself. Interesting. And then the next one is extroversion. So we have introversion, extroversion. Again, people think they know what that means. But 
I think a lot of people are mistaken and that they think that introverts means you're like a hermit and you don't like to see people, which is not true. So extroverts do tend to be very out there, very, um, they like concerts, they like big events, they like to be around large groups of people. They're a little bit more thrill-seeking. So they might like, you know, the roller coasters and amusement parks, but they're not always great listeners. And your introverts tend to be really good listeners. They tend to only speak when they feel like they have something to say, um, as opposed to extroverts who will just jump in to jump in because they like to jump in. Introverts will kind of hang back and wait and see what other people are saying, and then they'll then they'll chime in. They like to hang out with mm-hmm. other people, but sometimes that that takes a lot of energy for them. So sometimes they need to just kind of recharge their battery. So that's kind of that dimension. And you can imagine customer contact, particularly in hospitality, how much customer contact you have. You want various levels of of extroversion, sort of based on that. Definitely. The last two are very much around kind of how you deal with people and how you kind of cope with uh, with various stressors. So the the next dimension is agreeableness. And agreeableness is around, I sometimes call it the altruism dimension. So how much you put other people's needs before your own needs. And I always say, if you're like a, you know, if you're a concierge at a fancy hotel and your job is to get that person whatever they want, no matter what, you probably want to be quite agreeable. If you're in management, because you're likely to do whatever you need to do to make sure that needs met, including sacrificing your own needs and even the needs of your company to an extent. If you're someone who's a little lower in agreeableness, you tend to be more, it's my way or the highway, like, well, this is the way it is. This is the way we're going to do it. It's the right way. Get on board. So in management, for example, you usually want someone who's a little more middle of the road. So you want them to care about Mm -hmm. what other people are thinking and feeling and want, but you also need them to be able to make hard decisions when that's required. And then the final dimension, and then I will let you talk, I promise, is the dimension of emotional stability. (laughs) Which is, um, it's N in the acronym, which was originally neuroticism, but obviously we don't really like to use that term and we don't think of it that way. <laughs> right. And particularly at Tradeify, we look at the, the parts that are really predictive of work performance, of emotional stability, which are really how you handle stressful situations. So it's sort of about stress and coping. So people who are very high in emotional stability tend to be able to weather storms very easily. It doesn't upset them. Their feathers don't ruffle easily, but they're not always good at noticing when other people are getting upset because they're very even keel. And so sometimes they miss things. People who are lower in emotional stability tend to be a little more reactive. So they're great in situations. I always think you want someone who's a little lower in emotional stability as a someone who's in charge of like monitoring at a conference. So they notice if people are getting upset because something's not right or something's kind of off, and then they can change their behavior quickly to adapt to that and often, you know, stem the situation before it gets really out of control. So those people are a little more reactive, but they're also able to step in and intervene. Oh, wow. There's so much there. There's a lot there. Okay. There's a lot there. And I want to get into kind of more meat and potatoes about recruiting in the environment today, but just, I want to follow up on a couple points here. Does anything in that OCEAN acronym and any of those traits that fall into that, are those either predictive of somebody's ability to get promoted and then be successful in another job? Or if within an organization, are there different tests and i hate to use the word test but you know that's sure. you know i'll use it 
are there different tests that people would take along their career path within an organization that are more in line with the job that they're, they would be applying for? Yeah. So it sort of depends on exactly what it is that you're looking to predict. So there are the things that are personality relevant. So interpersonal dynamics and, you know, whether or not someone's going to be able to handle the type of stressors that they might be exposed to in that role will still be predicted by those same five dimensions but you would assess them sort of against a different profile. So not every job Mm. has the same profile. So when you move from one level to another, often what's required is a little bit different. And so what you can do are a couple of different things. One is you can look to see, okay, how do you kind of match, how well do you match the profile for the position that you're looking to move into from a personality perspective? Mm -hmm. If you match it well, great, you're good to go. If you don't particularly match it well, but you're someone that management has identified as someone who they think would be good in this for other reasons, that's where our engaged product comes in. And you can work on the difficulties that you might have and figure out how you could overcome those and address those to move into that role. Now, there are some Hmm. positions for which say cognitive abilities are more predictive. So Positions like finance or engineering, things that require a lot of complex problem solving, you might want to add a cognitive assessment in there. And I know for some companies, certain skill sets are very important. So for some programming languages, et cetera. The answer is that the big five is certainly still predictive across any role in terms of the you know pieces that are relevant to personality. But depending upon what the other pieces you need are, you may need to add another assessment that gets at those. The matching of somebody's assessment to a job task or a, a job position, are they getting compared to a pool of people who have taken the assessment before to, to see if there's you know, alignment there? So we have lots of ways that we set this up for organizations. One thing we haven't really talked about is that we ourselves run predictive validity studies for an organization using our profiles. So we do that in a couple of different ways at initial rollout. Um, First of all, there's all kinds of literature across industries that we can pull and figure out what a profile would look like to start. But then we look at what are your current employees look like? And not just your top employees. People uh, make that mistake all the time. They're like, well, these are our top 10 employees. We want people who look just like them. But I don't know that your top 10 employees look any different than your bottom 10 employees. And and if they do, I don't know how from a personality perspective. Mm -hmm. So you need, we need to look at all of your employees, like from the top to the bottom and who's leaving and who's staying. So we can really differentiate between those groups. And then as the tool is used sort of in hiring, we follow success of people who are hired and we get performance data or termination data. And we look at that and we see how we need to adapt the profile to help you find the best fit. Sometimes profiles change over time because sometimes the job Mm -hmm. changes over time, right? Especially we've all seen this with COVID, right? So what we needed in say 2020 for some of our customers is very different from what they now need in 2021 and different from what they needed in 2019. Excellent. Yeah. I can only imagine. And that's, that gets in. So we kind of covered a bit of the science piece of it, which, which is really interesting to me, but tell me a little bit about kind of where 
we're at right now from a recruiting perspective? What's what's the lay of the land right now? Yeah, it's so fascinating. I mean, I think this is one of the first times that I can ever remember where sourcing candidates is is really a challenge. There's still, I think, a lot of fear. People are still afraid to go back to work, especially in very customer-facing roles. Um, so for sure, in certain industries, and some people who were furloughed have gone on to do other things because they needed to feed their families, so they couldn't wait to come back online, right? So I think for one of the first times, we're seeing, okay, now we've got to be more creative about how do we source candidates? How do we get candidates in? As opposed mm-hmm. to having this huge abundance of candidates and it's more having to weed out people, right? So I think yeah. now it's that trade-off, right? It's how do we get enough people in that we can still only hire people who are going to be good in the role and not just hire someone because they're a warm body. But it's a smaller pool now. So you're still looking for those pool. you know, high caliber people who could have gone right. off to do other things, other interesting things. Maybe they're working for themselves now and they're That's out right. of that, that pool. Right. That's, that's That's tricky. And you're working with all industries. This isn't just a hospitality thing. It's not just a hospitality thing. We do have some industries that actually still have a ton of applicants in, in part, those tend to be things that are kind of more stable. You know, we've got some work from home things that people have been doing that they still have plenty of applicants for. Some of the grocery chains still have plenty of applicants, for example, because that was something that people still stayed in and and went people from other areas like restaurant would go into. But certainly hospitality and and even other kind of customer facing roles that aren't hospitality are being impacted more by the shortage for sure. Yeah. You know, this is 100% an opinion statement, but, you know, we hear that the state of recruiting is so difficult right now in a lot of industries because of stimulus and unemployment. And, you know, while that might be true to a small percentage of people, I don't get the sense that that's the case across the board. I think it's, there seems to be a, a fundamental shift in, in people that were in, and this is hospitality related specifically, just because that's my field, that, are, that just aren't in the industry anymore. They don't want to deal with the uncertainty. They don't want to deal with everything that the hospitality industry throws at them. So it feels like we're just in this place now where we've got to figure out how to attract people from other industries to get into hospitality, to replace the the bodies that left. Correct. I think that's very true. And I think one of the key things, I mean, I know a lot of people do talk about it's stimulus, it's, it's, it's that... But I think of it a little differently. I mean, I think what COVID has done is made everybody think about their own worth. What am I worth? What is my life worth? I think we've all done a lot of that kind of deep soul searching. And so we don't want to be considered disposable, right? And so I think people are more and more thinking, what am I going to do in my life that, you know, where I feel valued? By my company. I feel like they value me. They respect me. They care about my health and safety. And so I think that that's the piece really that we need to tap into when we're thinking about recruiting and getting people in from other areas. We need to remind people that we care about them, 
that we care about their health, that we care about their safety, that we want to pay them a living wage. And I think, you know, just it, pulling people in through those things will be so helpful. I think you're spot on there. I've had this experience in the past with assessments like what we're talking about today, where it's used as a hiring decision. So paint a scenario for you. So somebody comes in, they've got great experience and they're applying for a job that they're absolutely qualified for on paper. And they do a great job on the first maybe couple of interviews, a screening interview, and then they maybe talk to a department head. And then they get passed on to do an assessment. And the assessment isn't really in line with what the company's looking for. And that could be ambiguous, <laughs> what the company is yeah. looking for. So you have somebody who, hard to say whether or not they would do a really good job in the position they're applying for, because you don't, because they never get hired, right? Because they didn't, they don't fit the mold. This may not be a fair question, but what's your perspective on companies using it as a pass fail versus another point data point in figuring out if somebody's going to be good with the organization? That's an excellent question. It's a totally fair question. I don't ever recommend that it be used as a pass fail right? It is just another data point. Just as I would never say, you know, because someone has four and a half years of experience instead of five, you should immediately boot them out, right? It should mm -hmm. be one data point that you use in the process. In fact, the thing that I like about the Tradeify assessment is that because we are so quick, we are so easy and we have such high completion rates, about a 96% completion rate, especially when it's used in line with many of the ATSs that we're uh, in line with, integrated with, give it early. And then I say, if someone is not, doesn't seem like they're a good match, we have a series of interview questions that we have that you can ask them to explore that more. Right. Because, yeah, maybe they're not, maybe their personality doesn't look like a great match. Maybe they're a little lower on conscientiousness, for example, than what you would want. But maybe that person has put coping mechanisms in place where they now know how to ask their coworkers to remind them to do things or, mm -hmm. right. So it, these things are not meant to be, you know, and they're, they're, they're good on the aggregate. Like they're always individual exceptions to every rule, right? We know this. So it should always be a piece of data that you use in the process. If everyone looks great, except for this one piece is off, I would say find out why. And if mm -hmm. you use it early, you can ask those things in the interview and really kind of get a better sense of whether or not this person's going to be a good fit for your organization or not. And sometimes mm -hmm. it'll help you weed out people who looked great on paper, but there's a reason they've lost their last five jobs and it's because they can't get along with people. And sometimes mm -hmm. you'll have someone who looks like maybe they wouldn't get their work done, but they can tell you in an interview, they can provide you four concrete examples of exactly how they've gotten their work done in the past, right? So then you know, okay, great. Now this person is a good fit. So I'm yeah. not a fan of just chuck people out to chuck them out. Yeah, no, that's, and I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because it the recruiting, the hiring, the interview process, it, you can't be lazy when you're doing it, right? No. You, you have to be, it, so this is to your point, this is a data point, but you have to sort of have the wherewithal and I guess the bandwidth within the organization to dig deeper on candidates that do look promising rather than just yeah. saying, you know, well, they don't, they don't tick all the boxes or there's one box that, that is missing. 
And so they're not going to be a good fit. And again, this sort of circles back to what we were talking about before with trying to get other people to come into hospitality because so many have left. We may be looking at a whole other group of people coming in that maybe don't fit the traditional mold of a a hotel or hospitality worker. So that it seems to me like sort of the whole the whole perspective on hospitality recruiting is probably isn't shifting yet, but the companies that are going to win in the, maybe in the medium term are the ones that are going to see this in a different way. I think you're absolutely right. I'm a big fan of, you know, as my friend's always saying, it's a quote from a movie line, but it's improvise, adapt, overcome. And it's just Mm. true, right? We have to just, you know, we have to figure it out. And right now, I think I completely agree. The people who will be successful is sometimes you need to throw out what you think you need and just start Mm. broadening your net, right? I mean, I'm always a fan of if you have a smart person, you have a smart person, right? I was talking to someone just this morning who's in the same space as me now, but started out in chemistry, you know, people start out in different areas and and then they move to something else. And, you know, it's not, so we sometimes get so narrow focused and we need someone with this degree from this school and this many years experience in these types of roles when really some of the best people that you hire are people who are outside of that space. They bring a different mindset to it. So when you have those people combined with people who grew up sort of in that space, that's when the real magic happens. That's when you get this kind of cross-pollination of ideas and thoughts and really amazing things can happen. That's the diversity in the workforce uh, uh, over and above sort of what we're talking about in the DNI space, right? I mean, that's diversity yes. of thought and point of view. And I mean, that's that's, that's right. critical. That's right. Yeah. You avoid, you know, there's a, in psychology, there's this term that we call groupthink, right? And that's mm. just when people who all have the same ideas and approaches, they come to some decision that ends up being a terrible decision because they don't have anybody saying, hey, wait a minute, what about this, right? It's not always good. You do want some dissent in meetings. You don't want everybody to agree. Is that, that's agreeableness, right? It, that's the it, A yes, in the ocean. That's right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> you don't want a whole team of agreeable people. Although in all fairness, right. I've seen entire teams of disagreeable people also make really bad decisions oh just because they happen to like each other and have the same curmudgeonly views. So, you know. It can work both ways. That sounds like a nightmare. I mean, at some point you gotta you gotta land somewhere. <laughs> you try to move push yes, the ball down the field yes. as it were. Yes. If, okay. So one last uh, question I wanted to ask you here. So you know, with everything that we're talking about right now, and having to probably, I mean, customer needs are shifting. You know, we know that there's a lot of anecdotal stories out there about it's it, it's very tough on the front lines working in customer service positions, hotels, restaurants, and whatnot. What should employers be looking for now, or from your perspective, how is the what are the traits that we should be focusing on when we're looking for people that are more customer service minded in the environment today? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the biggest shifts is you really do need people who are definitely that kind of high in conscientiousness, right? They're going to do things like following safety protocols and making sure that their coworkers and that their guests do as well in as polite of a way as possible, right? So Mm -hmm. you're going to see a shift in needing people who are 
you know, it, it, I, I, this is almost like the middle land, I feel like, because because you don't, it's like you don't want a lot of extremes on some of these personality dimensions, whereas before you may have, maybe with the possible exception of conscientiousness, where maybe those perfectionists aren't looking so bad right now. <laughs> but, you know, you want people who are like, take the dimension of emotional stability, who can handle a little bit higher levels of stress, for sure. But you also, you know, again, don't someone want someone who's so high that they're unable to like notice when things are off, right? And that they're mm -hmm. able to adapt to that. So I think that some of the key things are, look, people are worried about their safety and health. And you also are going to have some pe people who have been cooped up for a year who are like finally ready to get out. And you have people who are done with COVID protocols, right? So you're gonna have some people who mm -hmm. do not want to wear a mask. You are gonna have some people who don't want to follow your safety protocols, right? And so it's this balance between those people who are mm -hmm. still gonna be very safety cautious. And then people who are gonna be like wanting a free for all, especially like I'm on vacation finally for the first time. So this makes it super easy mm -hmm. for your industry, of course. But I think that what you're <laughs> what you're looking for is someone who's not crazy high in agreeableness, first of all, because they're going to be difficult situations that they're going to have to cope with and they're going to have to navigate, right? And how do you politely but firmly tell someone, I'm sorry, you can't go in there if you're not wearing a mask or you have to stay, mm -hmm. you know, the, the chair, you can't move that chair that's bolted down because it has to be there for safety <laughs> reasons, right? So right. there will be things like that you know, as well as the people who are just going to make sure that the things get done and they get done right for the safety of their of their patrons and for their organization. Yeah. I have this vision in my head that I can't shake about some young person, first time in the industry, making 15 bucks an hour on the front line and just getting berated you know, because yeah. all they're doing right. is upholding, they're doing their job. They're upholding a company That's rule right. and they just happen to be the one telling a guest that they have to put a mask on or whatever, don't move the chair. And they get the brunt of all of that frustration and they have to, yes. you gotta, man, you gotta be able to bounce back. You have to, there's so much, there's exactly. so much on the back end, right. Of managing that Correct. for that team, that team member. And I think it's, you know, this is where the combination of Hire people who are definitely a little robust, but also training, 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 training. Like this is where I say that kind of what we call modeling. Like you need to have practice sessions where you scream at that person and teach them how to <laughs> deal with it. And nobody's going to like that, right? It sounds ridiculous. If I say, all right, Adam, we're going to have a practice session. I'm going to be this customer who comes in. I'm going to yell at you for 10 minutes and you yeah, have to react yeah. to it. Right. But that's the kind that's of terrible. training people And you know need. it's a safe space. And you know, <laughs> you know it's, it's a happening safe in a safe space. space and it's still awful. Exactly. But that's kind of training that I think, you know, beyond even just the what do we hire for? How do we train people to deal with that? And we shouldn't shy away from it. And I think we do. Like we we don't want to scare people away for sure, but they're gonna be a heck of a lot better if they've been trained to do that in a safe space than if they haven't. Right. So mm -hmm. I think that's yeah. part of it too. It's just a weird, weird world. And so the way we approach it just has to be really different. That's a really good tactic. I actually, I like that. I think that's a probably a good place to wrap up now, but you've, Heather, you've shared so much great information here. And there's a lot more that I didn't even get a chance to touch on. 
So I'd love to talk to you again sometime down the road and, and get to like the whole list of questions that I have that I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even ask. Yes, that would be great. I would love it. I've had a great time and it's really fun. If anybody wants to get a hold of you or learn more about Tradeify, what's a good place for them to go? So you can go to the Tradeify website at tradeify.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. It's just heather-myers-phd. Sounds good. I'll link to both in the show notes. Well, Heather, this was uh, fantastic again. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me. It was great. Have a good day. You too. Bye. This was my episode with Heather Myers. You can find her on LinkedIn or at tradeify.com. I'll link to both in the show notes. You can see the full interview on YouTube. Just search The Proven Principles Podcast. And if you want to learn more about the show, just head over to our website, theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. Finally, if you need to revamp your business strategy or you just need someone to talk to about a tough problem in your hotel or restaurant, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can book a free call with me by going to knowinghospitality.com slash contact. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. For past episodes, show notes, or if you've got a story that might make a great episode, head on over to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, even on YouTube. And if you haven't already, don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Proven Principles Podcast.